following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, May 19th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. If you've been with us for the past month, then you know we've been taking a look at Romans chapter 8. Robert Green has been walking us through that. And it's just been a real encouragement for me to hear all of that again, to read through it with us as a church. And so I'll, I'll pick up right where Robert left off last week. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to spend most of our time in verses 18 through 25. So go ahead and open your Bibles there. And on the way there, just let me say that May 17th, 1998... That was the day I got baptized. So 21 years ago, almost to the day. In fact, that year, May 17th was a Sunday. It was the third Sunday of May, just like today is the third Sunday of May. So that's going to be fun for me. This afternoon at 3, we're going to get to baptize a number of you here at this church. And and that's going to be a great, great reminder for me just of the grace of God that's come to me in my own life and how, by His grace, He's kept me over these last 21 years. And so as we... As we come together this afternoon at the river and I get to, to dunk a, a couple of you or a number of you, that's going to be fun just to think and, and to think about the next 20 years of your life and how, how the Lord is going to keep you as well. Um, so we, we look forward to that. Let's pray real quick as we get ready to, uh, to look into God's Word together. Uh, Father, you, you have brought us all here this morning safely and we thank you for that. Uh, we thank you that, that we, can, we can sit and gather like this uh, and be in your presence together. And we, we, we know that you say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you, you say it's also impossible to please you without faith. And so I'm, I'm asking you to do that now, Lord. I'm asking that as we listen to your word together, you would produce in us that faith that pleases you or you would strengthen in us that faith that pleases you. Um, and if anyone, if anyone walked in this morning never having come to you in faith before, I pray that, that you would use your word now and as, an, as an occasion to, to change the heart to the point where, where we all begin to see Jesus the way he really is, where we begin to see our need for him and where it becomes the, the beginning point for some of us of of walking, as we're reading here in Romans chapter 8, of walking or living by the Spirit and experiencing the blessing of being known as children of God. We ask that in your name, Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. I, I'm going to read the text in a moment, at least halfway through the text. I really have one point this morning. I really have one point this morning, and that is the fact that as children of God, for those of us, if you've been listening to Robert over the past four, four weeks or so, you, you know that as children of God, there are a number of things the Bible tells us here in Romans chapter 8 that are true of us. There are some things that we have right now as children of God. And my whole point this morning is that there are some things that we don't have yet, and we have to wait for it with patience. Okay, and I want to make sure that we're clear as Christians, that we're clear on what those things are that we can have and know that we have right now versus what are some of those things maybe that 
we don't have yet, and we need to still wait for those with patience. I think God will speak to us very clearly through the text about what belongs in what column. And then I'm going to do my best to try to help us understand why it's so important for us to be clear on that. What's at stake? Because it is very important, and you'll, you'll come to see, I, I trust you'll come to see that as we go through the text together this morning. So let's, let's go to Romans chapter 8 now, and I'm actually going to begin right there in verse 16 as we read on through. I'll probably pause in verse 22 and then talk for a little bit and come back and do the rest of the passage. All right, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Let me pause for just a moment. What the Apostle Paul is explaining here is that ever since God created the world, when he created the world, and we read about that in Genesis, God makes his statement about it. He said everything he made was good. In fact, it was very good. And then by the time we get to chapter 3, sin is introduced into the picture. Adam sins, and his sin has a profound impact on the world that God had made. We look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, I believe, and there God approaches Adam after Adam sins, and he says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, God is not blaming Eve here. He is confronting Adam and saying, you made a choice to listen to someone other than me. I'm, I'm the authority in your life. You should have listened to me. You should have trusted me. But God comes to him and he says, cursed now is the ground because of you. Do you see that? Now, what I won't do is I won't launch, I won't launch immediately into how we have an example here in Scripture of human activity having an adverse and a profoundly adverse effect on the environment and the climate. Some of you would be very uncomfortable if I did that. But it is there in your Bible. Okay, those of you, my friends on the left, you would love that. You would love that. Those of you on the right would be a bit nervous. The other thing I won't do, and I'm sorry for my friends on the left, you're good. it's your turn to be nervous. The other thing I won't do is I won't launch into uh, all the end times speculation. You know, you know what's interesting is in churches and in religious circles, we're kind of used to extremes of apocalyptic doomsday, end-of-the-world speculation. It's all going to blow up any minute, you, you know? But that's starting to happen increasingly now outside of religious circles. Like modern, secular, progressive stuff. I mean, it, it's... Have you, have you caught wind of this? Like, all things are going to be done in 10 years if we don't remake every building and get rid of every car and every plane and, goodness, if we don't stop the cows from doing what cows do. 
It's all just going to be destroyed, right? So I, I'm, not, I'm not in that camp either, right? Because as we read through the Bible, and particularly our text this morning, you're going to see that this world, though it has been subjected to a kind of futility, and though it has been adversely affected by human sin and activity, you're going to understand that this world is still under the supervision and direction of an infinitely powerful and wise God. And the end of the world is going to be determined by His plan and His timing. And he is more powerful than every human being and every boat and every car and every plane and every cow put together. All right, so having said that, that was a little sidebar. I hope that that will help some of you with the discussions you hear and participate in out there. Uh, please continue to read your Bible. Please continue to believe in a God that balances our unstable and unsteady hearts through his wisdom and that protects us as we travel through this life, what he calls the sufferings of this present time. Are, is that good? All right, let's get back to the text here. Uh, you know for a fact here that Paul has in mind, when he says the sufferings of this present time in verse 18, there are lots of things he could be talking about. Lots of things bring suffering into our life. There's the suffering that comes directly as a result of our own personal sin, right? I break a, a law out there, I break a speed limit, I get pulled over, maybe I get arrested, I get a ticket. That's suffering that I've invited by my own sin and disobedience, right? There's stuff that happens to us, other people sin against us, and that brings a certain measure of suffering. But then there's a kind of suffering that results simply because we live in this fallen world that's been subjected to futility. And just as we act upon this world, it acts upon us. And there's a kind of suffering that will come. People, people have lost possessions and lives in natural disasters. I mean, there, there's just there's stuff that happens in a fallen world that we can't control, but it brings suffering into our lives. And there's also a kind of suffering, in particular now, where we talk about the sufferings of this present time, there's an aspect of it that intersects directly with us in terms of our bodies. There's a kind of suffering that is reflected in our very bodies. Now, I think that that is primarily what Paul has in mind when he speaks here. And part of the reason I believe that is because of what he says, and you can flip with me now, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says something in that part of the Bible that is strikingly similar to what he says over here in Romans chapter 8. Verse 18 on down. There in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you see the similarity between what he says here and what he says back in Romans chapter 8? Go back there with me. He speaks there about a suffering that takes place in this present time. Since Adam introduced sin and its adverse consequences into the world, 
all the way up through the present time, really all the way up until the time where God brings about His new creation, His new heavens, His new earth, and even His new humanity. The sufferings of this present time, he speaks there about those sufferings, and he mentions in Romans chapter 8 that these sufferings, there's an aspect of it where, where we are, we're told that there's a glory that is coming on the other end of these sufferings. These sufferings are bringing about or leading to a glory that will be revealed, and they're not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. So there's suffering and there's glory, and we're told that, that the one doesn't compare with the other. And then we're also told in Romans chapter 8 as we look back again. Look at Romans chapter 8 down in verse 24 and 25. We're told here in Romans chapter 8 that there's something about seen and unseen. Do you see that? Well, that's exactly what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It makes sense to think that the, the Paul who wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 4 who also wrote Romans chapter 8, is speaking about the same things in those two places. It's the same mind being guided by the same Spirit of God. He's speaking in strikingly similar and parallel ways. And that is very helpful for us if we want to understand what he is focusing on primarily when he speaks about the sufferings of the present time in Romans 8 because he gives us a little bit of added information in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Look at that again real quick and look at what he says. He says there, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. There is a very normal, expected, I hate to put it this way, but it is the phrase the Bible used, wasting away of our outer selves, of this body. Now, I'm 42 years old, so I'm not, I'm not going to put myself forward this morning as the picture of what it looks like to be wasting away. If you disagree with me, just kind of hold that to yourself for a second. <laughs> but there's less hair in certain spots than, than there was 21 years ago when I got baptized. There's just less hair. I, I, I wake up some mornings, and I promise you, I was perfectly fine the night before, went to bed, no problem at all. I wake up, all I did was sleep. It's all I did. That's supposed to help you, right? And I put my foot down on the floor, and all of a sudden, there's this just striking pain in my left ankle. Where did, where did that come from? Wasting away. Just very common, very normal stuff. The question for us this morning is should that be happening to me if, if I'm a child of God? I mean, don't I have and can't I lay claim, as some would say, to, to something better than that? Can't I claim immunity from and an exemption from the kind of sufferings of the body that seem to affect everybody else? After all, you did read Romans chapter 8, verse 11 with us, did you not? Look, look at that again. We've read this in past weeks. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. So, so maybe if some people are right, I should be laying hold of something 
And the problem, the reason my ankle hurt in the morning was because of my lack of faith. Now, of course, speaking about my ankle hurting for just a little bit is a very, very minor issue. When it comes to the sufferings that you and I experience in our bodies and, and the, the, the suffering that is reflected in our bodies and, and, and the various forms that, that that shows up in, in terms of our lives, the ways those things show up, there, there are cases where it's, it's much more severe and much more serious. I, I don't know that a month goes by that as pastors we don't, a month, maybe a week, you know, we're, we're always dealing with things that, that fall into a more serious category. But let me, let me ask you some questions. What if, what if you struggle with allergies? I mean, we do live in Richmond. Everybody has a pollen allergy. If you didn't have one when you came to the city, you do now. Welcome to Richmond, by the way. Uh, apparently the third worst city in America for pollen allergies. And perhaps steadily rising. And we, we, maybe we ought to take some pride in that. We don't lead the nation in too many things, right? But pollen allergies, we're getting pretty close. We just got a couple more cities to knock off. What if it was more serious? I mean, what, I mean, think about it this way. I mean, if you have other allergies, like, you know, I know one of my children has a gluten allergy. You know, kids have peanut allergies and dairy allergies. And, I mean, is it their fault? Do they just need more faith? What about when you and I succumb to bacteria or viruses and we, we experience colds and, or various infections? I mean, what, what if that happens to us? Or on the most extreme end, I mean, we're, we're, we're always having to work through and pray with people in our congregation and people who know others, uh, people from our congregation who know others, loved ones who, who are battling cancer, who suffer through miscarriages, sometimes multiple miscarriages. Is it, is it because of a lack of faith? Is that what we as pastors should tell these people when we visit them in their homes or in their hospitals? that they are immune and exempt from the sufferings of the present time that get reflected in our bodies. Now, there are professing Christians who, who believe precisely that, who, who read the same Bible that you and I are reading and who would say that, yes, you, you should be exempt from those things. In fact, and I'm, and I'm not here to pick, pick a fight this morning with, with Kenneth Copeland, but I'm going to use him as an example. For any of you who are familiar with that name, he, he would fall into the category of what people commonly refer to as faith healers or faith teachers. Um, and, and this sort of belief is very common in those camps. All right? And, and I, I say I'm not trying to pick a fight because I don't know the state of every individual's heart. So for all I know, Kenneth, Kenneth Copeland is um, a, a fellow believer, a co-heir with Christ, and, and we're in the same family and on the same team from God's perspective when it comes to that, that, that sense, you know. So I don't know if that's the case or if he is one of those who might fall into the charlatan camp, who, who's really a fraud and an imposter. I have no clue. But, but in the case that he is a fellow believer, I, I, I want to tread lightly and I don't want to slander him or vilify him in any way. But we do have some differences in what we believe, all right? Now, I... I do believe, along with someone like Kenneth Copeland, that, that healing is possible for any one of us. Healing of the body, instantaneous, miraculous healing of the body is possible for any one of us. Why? Because we serve 
a God for whom all things are possible and with whom all things are possible. There is no sickness, there is no disease, there is no illness, there is no, there is no ailment of the body that God cannot remove just like that. If death itself has set in, we serve a Jesus that not only got out of the grave himself, but looks at Lazarus and says, hey, come, get out of there, come on, hurry up. Well, Lord, it's been four days. <laughs> are, you, are you four days? We created the universe in six, and it, we didn't even need that long. We just kind of, we just didn't want people to feel bad <laughs> with how quickly we did it, so we took some time, <laughs> right? It was like the kid is so fast, much faster than everybody else, and just kind of, have you seen Dash in, that, in The Incredibles? I'll just take a little bit extra time and, and create the universe. No, but this is, there's nothing that God can't remove. However, wh where I disagree with someone like Kenneth Copeland is I believe that he pulls too much of a future promise into the present time and says it's for everybody right now if you just have enough faith. Right? I agree with him that ultimately everyone's going to be healed. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be perfectly and finally healed. I agree with him. The extent to which we can say it's a, given and it's a promise for every single believer right now, I think is where we have a discussion. Let me read you some things that, that he says, and you can find this on his website as well. Kenneth Copeland has said this, quote, you don't ever have to deal with sickness or disease again. No matter what your situation, you can learn how to get and keep your healing once and for all. Not only are we to expect healing in all situations, but we should also believe to live in divine health, end quote. Now, if you're unfamiliar with that distinction between healing and divine health, John G. Lake, another one of these faith pastors, preachers, teachers, he'll, he'll set you straight. What is the distinction between healing and divine health? Here's what he says. Divine healing is the removal by the power of God of the disease that has come upon the body. But divine health is to live day by day, hour by hour, in touch with God so that the life of God flows into the body just as the life of God flows into the mind or into the spirit. End quote. And the expectation is that as a believer, if you are truly a child of God, you will not only experience divine healing when you need it, but you will walk in divine health, a constant immunity from the sufferings of the body that everybody else has to endure. He goes on, Kenneth Copeland goes on to say, quote, healing is your covenant right. If you want it, it's yours. The problem is most Christians haven't truly believed it. You can take hold of what belongs to you and live in divine health by following the strategies outlined in the Word of God. Here's how you can receive and keep your healing. And then he lays out a multi-point strategy. Number two on his multi-point strategy is do, do, or rather don't let your symptoms talk to you. Don't let your symptoms talk to you. Now, he bases that on a portion of the same letter that you and I are reading, Romans. He goes to chapter 4, and he looks at the case of Abraham, and he says, remember Abraham, Romans chapter 4, verse 19, and he says there, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. 
which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. And nor did he weaken in faith when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, and, and she would have been 90 at, at, at that time. But he just had faith that God could do whatever he said he could do, and that, that part of it is noble, and God eventually, yes, God came in and he did. They had a, a child. You know the rest of the story. And the, the, the teaching of the faith healer or teacher here is to say that just like that was true for Abraham, it's true for you. No matter what your situation, you can just name and claim and lay hold of anything that you're hoping for. If you have enough faith. Well, is that right? I, I know, I know people, I have friends, I have relatives who would subscribe to this kind of thing. And I came across one friend one day, and he's in this camp, but as I'm approaching him, you could see that he was sick. Okay? You could actually see that he was sick. And so I walked up to him and I said, man, I, I would ask how you're doing, but that ship has sailed. I mean, we can see you're not at 100% here. Man, is there anything I can get? Anything I can, you know, can I pray for you? And he said, oh, no, 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 brother. I'm, I'm, I'm healed. By his stripes, I'm healed. I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm, I'm, uh, I claim that healing right now. I'm just waiting on the manifestation. I mean, it wouldn't take medicine, wouldn't do anything, nothing. I mean, just, just waiting on the manifestation. And, and see, we had a good relationship, so I could, you know, I can joke with him. I said, brother, why, why don't we just take care of the manifestation that's already here? How about that? Why don't you clean this tissue real quick and, and help, help us all out? <laughs> just, you know, thankfully he took the tissue. I mean, yes, by his stripes you're healed, but my goodness, by this tissue you're helped. Please, take, take this thing. But, but see, my friend, he, he actually believed that if he allowed his symptoms to talk and to lie to him, that he would somehow be denying part of his inheritance as a child of God. He would be, he would be lying about God. That's, that was his understanding of God's word and what was expected and required of him. He thought that he was going to create some alternate reality with just the mere speaking of certain words and that he would somehow forfeit his potential blessing of the manifestation of the healing that was his. Now, all I want to do this morning is to say Redemption Hill. Let's, let's go through, starting now in verse 23. Go back to Romans chapter 8, and let's get the rest of the passage. Verse 23 through 25. And, and I want us to notice something very, very particularly that God puts in the Bible, because it's important for us not to take any individual passage out of context, but to let all of the Bible's content bear on any particular thing that we're reading at the moment. So Romans chapter 8, verse 23. We were just told that the creation is groaning in pains like pains of childbirth up until the present time. In other words, there's a suffering and there's a pain, but, but something new and wonderful is, is going to emerge from it. And now we're told that it isn't just the rest of creation that has this experience of groaning in response to the sufferings of the present time. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. Now, at the very least, now you're thinking this refers to human beings. But you may still be tempted to think that this only refers to human beings who have not yet received the new life of the Spirit on the inside of them, who have not yet been made 
into new creations through faith in Christ. That maybe this only applies to other people who haven't yet come into that blessing of being known as children of God through the Spirit and through faith in Christ. But in case you had that thought, if you want to leave with that thought, you had better stop reading right there. If you want the truth, you must continue. The rest of verse 23 says it is not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Who's that? Who's that? Believers. People who have the first fruits of the Spirit. And as we read earlier on in chapter 8, verse 9, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. Man, that's another thing. I, I could get lost on that. I mean, how many, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, man, that person is a great, mature Christian, if they only had the Spirit. I mean, if they only had the Spirit. They just don't know the power they're missing. If they only had the Spirit. And look, I, I understand. I understand what they mean because I speak, I speak I'm, I'm multilingual when it comes to like church language. I speak ESV, NIV, KJV. I speak Pentecostal. I speak Presbyterian. I am, I am multilingual. And, I, you know, and praise God for that. <laughs> Just because it's hard to make sense out of all this stuff. But so many of my friends, I could tell you just, man, if that person only had the Spirit, I can't wait till they have the Spirit. Woo, man, they'll set this place on fire. They will wait till they have the Spirit. I'm like, why are you so ready to set everything on fire? <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> no, but you know, you know what they're talking about. And yet, I read in chapter 8, verse 9, maybe, maybe you read this with me, and, but it, you know, maybe we just boop, hit it and kept going like a speed bump. But I, I want to slow us down real quick. Look at this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not, what? So you can't belong to Christ and not have the Spirit. Ask me how I know that. Because it's right there in chapter 8, verse 9. I read it in the Bible. You cannot belong to Christ and not have the Spirit. Because the Bible says, which is a way of saying God says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You can't get more clear than that. So whatever you mean by saying this person does not have the Spirit, we, we just probably have to work on your language a little bit. Let me teach you some, of, uh, some other Christian languages here. Right? We just have to polish that up a little bit. What you, what you mean is that there is more for us to experience in our life with Christ than being filled by the Spirit and seeing how that shapes the way that we think and speak and live. Yes, absolutely, all of us stand in need of being filled by the Spirit in that sense. All of us. And don't be afraid of that. Let me, let me talk to my, my frozen chosen crowd here. Don't be afraid of that. Just because you've seen something weird or, 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 or something you, you, you got something you didn't like, somebody put you in a chair somewhere and they made a big circle around you, and that's a traumatic experience, right? But, but just because that's happened to you, don't be afraid of delving into what it means to pursue more of the Spirit of God. 
having more of the Spirit of God and His life reflected in your daily life is a normal expected experience for the Christian. We ought not to be afraid of that. I mean, you've been to, you've been to restaurants and you had a bad meal, right? Something went wrong. You didn't stop eating. Maybe you stopped going back to that restaurant, but you didn't, you didn't forsake all restaurants. You know, so maybe you stopped going to that group or that church, but you don't, you don't leave Jesus behind. You don't leave the Spirit behind. Are you, are you all listening still? I can't tell. It is the frozen chosen crowd, so I, I'm just trying to find the, the couple of you out there who will nod for the rest. <laughs> all right, so anyway, I, I just wanted to let us be comfortable with that. I have no idea where I was before I went on that rabbit trail. But the Lord will remind me and, and bring us back to it presently. Kenneth Copeland and others like this will say that it's just it's, it's a failure of faith that causes us to experience these things. But look again at, at chapter 20, or rather chapter 8, verse 22 and 23 and 24. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we are the ones who groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Here's, here's our point this morning. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit have many things right now but there are some things that we don't have yet and we still need to wait for them, verse 25, with patience. If we hope for what we do not yet see or do not yet have, we wait for it with patience. And the Apostle Paul says here that one of those things we don't have yet is connected to the suffering that is reflected in our physical bodies. We are waiting for adoption of sons. And you say, wait a minute, I thought, I thought verse 15 said we, we, we have already received the spirit of adoption and, and we cry, Abba, Father. We are children of God. Yes, that's true. We're not contradicting that here. That is exactly true. What we are saying here is that there is an experience of this sonship, this being a child of God. There's a portion of it that is already, we currently have it, and there's a portion that is not yet. That is still future. And so that adoption as sons, the fullness of it, contains even this thing we refer to here as the redemption of our bodies, the, the perfection of this body, the, the giving, the gift that God will give us of a new body. Pray, praise the Lord. If there is sleeping at that time, when I wake up, I don't have to worry about my ankle. Bless you. And we will not have to worry about a myriad of other more serious conditions. They'll all be taken care of in that time. I still have time. They'll all be taken care of. In the meantime, there is what we call the sufferings of the present time. They are normal. They are expected. They will come. They will happen. The Bible tells us very plainly in verse 1, uh, Romans 8, chapter Chapter 8, verse 1, it says what? There is now therefore no what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. That's something that we have right now, freedom from condemnation. Despite the record of our lives and what we deserve because of it, God in His goodness to us through Jesus Christ has removed from us the condemnation we deserve. But while the Bible is plainly telling us that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ, 
you will not hear the Bible say that there is now therefore no suffering for those who are in Christ. There is suffering. And part of that suffering touches our very physical bodies. We will endure these things just like other people. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit will continue in the present time to groan inwardly as we wait for something we don't have yet, the redemption of our bodies, the full and final healing, conformity to the likeness of Christ in terms of our physical health. Jesus will never have to worry about a cold ever again. He's not going to be traveling on the road and get tired and have to sit down by a well. And we are following him. And we will get there. In the meantime, we're told, those things are ours. That glory is yours if, along the way, we suffer with him. Some things, friends, we still have to wait for with patience. There is one thing, however, you do not have to wait for. We just spoke about it. It is possible that you could pray with all faith and all sincerity And as you pray, in time you will see and learn of God's response. And it may very well be that as you pray for that cancer to leave, it may very well be that God removes that cancer from you and we're going to celebrate that with you. It may also very well be that when you pray with equal faith that that cancer is not immediately taken from you, is not taken from you at all. You may pray with faith that is pleasing to God, and you may discover that His plan for your personal life in that moment does not include Him removing that cancer at your request. I've lived through that with my dad. My dad died of pancreatic cancer five or six years ago, five years ago, six years ago, almost. And so I know what I'm telling you. I prayed, I believe with faith. I asked God for what I wanted. I wanted the cancer removed. It turned out that my father died as a result of of what was happening in his body due to that pancreatic cancer. In the process, my dad gave his heart to Jesus. He was saved. The condemnation was removed. And I, I was there as he was praying. And it happens right then. I'm, I'm, so you may have to wait to discover what God's plan is when you pray about that cancer, whether or not it will be removed. I'm telling you, you do not have to wait to know how he will respond if you pray to him for your condemnation to be removed. As you turn to Christ in faith, as you come to that cross, you don't have to suffer one more thing or one moment longer in order for that result to be yours. All the suffering required for your condemnation to be removed right now has already been done by Christ. All you have to do is come to him. I'm not going to give you a strategy. I'm not going to give you a formula. Jesus knows how to save people who approach him like that. If that's you this morning and you've never approached Jesus like that, you have the opportunity now. There is still time. There's still opportunity. Why not now? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. It never says tomorrow is the day of salvation. Today. Why not now? What keeps you from coming to to, to Christ and asking him, And asking him to remove from you the condemnation due for your sins. What keeps you from coming to him? Lord, I pray that you would remove any obstacle between the one who needs his or her condemnation removed this morning and you. May they come to the cross 
and see a Savior ready to save us. Lord, may you convert the heart so that we see Jesus this morning as sufficient, everything that we need, and as wonderful, as necessary. Only you can do that. And the Lord, I, I pray that you would also help those of us who have already known the blessing of what it is to be called children of God. I pray that you would help us to not be afraid to ask you for big things. To honor you with our big requests that require miracles. Help us to have a faith which includes those things as well. Help us not to hide behind what may look like a, a kind of maturity on the surface, but really is just an unwillingness to put ourselves out there because we're afraid that you might not answer in a way that we want. Protect us, Lord, from, from protecting ourselves against you. Help us to trust you to be God, to be big enough when we ask you for what we want. And I also pray that you would help us to exist in, in unity with fellow Christians who may believe something different about all these things. In the end, we all agree, Lord, that, that when you're done, you're going to remove all sin, all sickness, all disease. It'll all be gone. We may differ regarding how much of that we believe is for everyone right now, but, but I pray that in the meantime, you would guard our unity as believers, that you would protect us from fruitless arguments, um, you would help us to pray with one another and to strive side by side together for the faith of the gospel. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we ask you for all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com dot com.